Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community and free. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show on Freight, there's also the coolest newsletter. You can subscribe to that on FreightWires.com slash Running on Ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. InvestNet Asset Management recently announced that it raised its holdings in the shares of Americold Realty Trust, Inc. by 4.4% during the fourth quarter. According to its most recent Form 13F filing with the SEC, this revelation has caused quite a stir among investors and market analysts alike. Investment net asset management now owns approximately 0.2% of Americold Realty Trust's worth, which translates to a casual $15 million. This news does signal some interesting times ahead for Investnet because their potential return on investment from this acquisition is significant, and it also raises questions about what motivated them to work, make this purchase at this specific point in time. No better place than the desert for a cold storage facility. Arcadia Cold Storage is doing just that. They are building a cold storage facility in Reno, Nevada. That state-of-the-art facility will span 254,000 square feet and offer a fully convertible freezer and cooler distribution center services with 37,000 pallet positions to support regional distribution, import and export services, and high-volume throughput handling capabilities. Arcadia's facility will represent one of the first large-scale 3PL cold storage facilities in the Reno market. Dollar General is growing its supply chain capacity with the addition of three facilities and the expansion of multiple existing ones. The additions include a previously announced distribution center in Blair, Nebraska, which can service the company's traditional Dollar General fresh product lines. Dollar General called the Blair facility its first ground-up dual distribution center that can service both fresh and traditional assortments as part of the discounter's strategic multi-phase shift to self-distribution of frozen and refrigerated products. As of early March, Dollar General operated 19 distribution centers for non-refrigerated products, 10 cold storage distributions, and two combination facilities. The company has more than 20 million square feet of storage space for non-refrigerated products and 2.6 million square feet of cold storage. Today, we are joined by Jake McCall, Head of Refrigerated Operations and Product at Warp. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jake. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I am getting kind of excited about today. Before we dive too far into Warp and all the cool stuff that you guys do, why don't you give us a brief rundown on your background and how you got started at Warp? Yeah, so um, kind of fell face first into uh, perishable temp control logistics. I went to college for food marketing and found out quickly I wasn't very good at marketing, but like food. Um, so I got a role. I got a role at C.H. Robinson in one of their like Robinson Fresh offices, um, and I was on the transportation side, focused on all produce hauling. Um, so spent time in the the produce brokerage or, or space, and then from there. Went to a startup called Blue Apron. At Blue Apron, I was over. Yeah, and it was kind of, it was, I guess, like Series C. So they had raised some money, but wasn't quite the peak when I got there. Um, so I was overseeing all of their inbound. So all of, all of the ingredients coming in and kind of working to develop that supply chain. Then I switched to the direct-to-consumer side of the business. So overseeing all the parcels going direct to the consumer um, going to these last mile carriers, um, whole different type of 
logistics model and learned a ton. From there, I hopped over to uh, Business Market. I was like the first actual dedicated logistics hire there. Um, helped them scale out and kind of expand to pretty much the entire country. And then uh, took a brief role overseeing the entire supply chain at uh, Smallhold, which is a mushroom grower uh, based in Brooklyn and Texas and LA. Uh, cool company. Um, and then wanted to get back into, uh, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I wanted to get back into logistics. And here I am with Warp. Um, had a good relationship with the co-founders previously through our, uh, you know, dealing with them and through all the different logistics business I'd been doing and decided to take this role on and help the team. So here we are and very happy to be with Warp and uh, we're doing a lot of exciting things. It's uh, something I've long said about being in logistics. Once you're in it, you're not allowed to leave. You can take a break and go, but you always get brought back. Like I was like, I don't think I want to work in logistics forever. I'm going to go sell kitchen cabinets. Sure enough, a year later, I was back in logistics. You, well, you end up going to the kitchen cabinet company. Just find your way to logistics department anyway. So <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's it's one of those things where once you're in it, you just, you can never leave. You can never leave. And it's, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's it's better to just face it and take it head on and embrace it eventually. So that's where we're at. Accept your fate and just resign. Yeah, that's the phase of life I'm in right now. So I like it. Um, also, I think you're uh, about one uh like produce to consumer or directly consumer brand uh, away from getting like the infinity gauntlet of all of, like the true crime podcast sponsorship ones. You've got like Blue Apron, Misfit Markets. I feel like you're just one hello fresh away. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's like they all share the same marketing model. And it is kind of a joke over at Warp as well. So one of the challenges that comes with direct to consumer shipping, specifically in the temperature controlled space, is kind of keeping perishable things, you know, from not going bad. Um, what are kind of some of those main challenges that come with perishable shipping, but also doing it in like a same day, next day thing? Because I know that's something that you guys specialize in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, we're going to state the obvious here, right? Like you're always battling spoilage. Um, so the challenge are, challenges are the numerous ways you can like prevent that spoilage. So understanding your product, what you're actually shipping, is it, a frozen commodity? Is it a fresh commodity? What are the actual like timelines in which you can, or I guess, be out of refrigeration or what temperatures do you need to maintain? Understanding your product. And then from there, it's understanding, you know, the whether it's the vehicle type or the packaging type that you need to withstand all the different delays and challenges that can come about. You basically want to have either a vehicle or packaging that is prepared to withstand the worst case scenario. So which one would you say is easier to kind of accommodate or plan for the vehicle or packaging kind of as your last safety net? Or do you want obviously like a mix of both? So the vehicle, going straight vehicle, direct to consumer or like direct to store um, is always easier. So when I think about like delivering ice cream through the many different channels, like whether it's to GoPuff or like DoorDash, right? They're just sticking in a bag because they know that they have about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go from A to B, right? And that's, that's easy. You're just like, I just need to get it here. Short window of time. And then the next step up would be just using like a refrigerated box truck or sprinter to get your product from A to B. You have more control. And whether you're doing like a DSD route that we do, 
plenty of times there might be delays, but ultimately you're relying on this piece of equipment that's refrigerating your product and keeping, maintaining the integrity. When you get into the world of packaging, that's where it becomes super technical and you need to do a ton of testing, rely on packaging experts, and it's super costly. It's it's a lot. So it's a lot more than just getting a bunch of bulk ice packs and sticking them inside of a cardboard box. Correct, right? I mean, if you think about it, you could you can over ice and then you're spending a ton of money if it's February and you're shipping to Minnesota and you're just huffing a bunch of ice in your packages, you might actually have a frozen package show up. And we we've in the like early days of doing direct to consumer, we would have boxes that were like you look through like your weekly reports and you're looking for like damage, spoiled, and then pops up frozen because we were putting up ice in boxes going to like negative 10 degrees. And then people were like, I have a box of ice product. It's just, it's supposed to be fresh vegetables and it's ice. Um, so yeah, you gotta like, it's a just, you know, it's just all about that. Um, it's all about that nice little give and take thing, you know, maybe put a little extra ice if it's going down to Miami, put a little less if it's going up to the fun of, uh, Minnesota or, you know, Michigan in the middle of winter. got to just do the testing, right? You got to understand your different environments. Exactly. So one of the questions that I have that I guess isn't super related to packaging um, direct-to-consumer, but it's something I've always wondered, um, and I'm hoping maybe people will help me with it. What do you do on like a dock when you have like eggs and and, um, ice cream and like lettuce? Are there any chances of like things that need to be kept at different temperatures and environment even being on the same dock at the same time? Or is it something um, that I, that like is a very real problem that you have to control humidity for one and maybe not for the other? Um, well, pharmaceuticals and food should definitely be kept like entirely separate. There's, there's a lot of regulation for both of them, right? So I would say, you know, when you're handling multiple um, temp ranges with food commodities, the, the best thing you can do, which is really, really basic, and a lot of people don't do this, is label your pallets accordingly. If you know that you're going into a multi, if you're, you know, shipping a product on a cool truck, but one needs to be in a little bit of a colder room, one needs to be in a, a bit of the higher side of the temp range, and you're actually se- separating those, maybe wrap your pallets different in a different color and put a label on this temp zone versus the other temp zone. Um, you would be shocked how many times you just see like unlabeled pallets being just sunk into the abyss and then it's all through the cross suck figure it out. Um, you really need to like be the first line of defense and, and actually people handling your product correctly. So that's one. Um, and then really it's just like, you know, you have to follow your, your, the GMP and regulatory, regulatory guidelines. So, um, you know, especially with pharmaceuticals, you can't really have this like pharmaceutical slash food warehouse because um, then you're in risk of cross contamination, and um, that's you know I know I know bueno. So basically, it is to think that you're going to have all these different things coming in, and it's just uh, as a truly a logistics challenge to try and keep everything together and in its own spot. Yeah, I mean, especially like the receiving that I've dealt with in these large direct consumer food companies where you have all these different temp ranges of product coming in. Um, and then you have you know, your, everything's coming into one cold space before it gets kind of split off into its individual temp zone. 
Um, having that appropriate label labeling coming in and working with your vendors to make sure it's on there. Um, or if it's a crosstalk, even the, the team on the dock can read the label and understand this needs to go to section A, this needs to go to section B, and this needs to go to section C. So proper labeling and communication just will streamline the entire process and hopefully reduce the errors where maybe frozen products going in with cooler product and you have a huge mess in product wells. So the key takeaway is that shippers need to just label their products better. Label products better and communicate across the board. Okay, I like it. Those are the there's some key hallmarks of, honestly, you should be doing that even on your dry band shipments, but especially on your uh, temperature controlled ones, should probably be more of an emphasis on it. Yeah. And then you'd be shocked how often it doesn't happen. What kind of, if I'm a shipper looking to get a cake to somebody or get a dozen eggs to somebody like within same day or next day delivery, what kind of options are available to me? Is it literally just like call a box truck to come pick some stuff up or if I need to get a field of lettuce moved something like what kind of options are available to shippers who need that temperature control option? Yeah. I mean, there's luckily, especially at work, we have a wide range of options, um, all the way down to a refrigerated sprinter up to a 53 refrigerated trailer and everything in between. Right. Um, you know, for same day, you, uh, the shipper needs to understand what temperature requirements they have first and foremost right can if you're going same day delivery can this cake be out of refrigeration for 30 minutes then you can go down and you can work with us and we can maybe do like a you know ic direct consumer delivery thing where we're getting independent contractors to take cake cake from eatery, right or maybe this cake needs to be refrigerated or frozen the entire time right and then we can look at a number of things. Can it fit on a, a frozen sprinter or does it, is it 10 pallets of cakes? Can it go on a 26 foot box truck? Can it go on a 53 foot? So I think like ensuring, you know, how much product you have, how much time you have and the temp requirements allow experts like us at Warp to allocate the right equipment and make sure that we're going to, you know, deliver your product successfully. So it all comes back to that communication, that labeling and understanding of expectations for everyone involved. Yeah. And, you know, I think like you got to have experts in the room on the shipper side. And then you can also, if you don't be very candid with it and come to people like us at Warp and we are the experts, we can tell us the problem that you have, be very forthcoming with the details and we'll put together a solution that meets your problem. Got it. Got it. So if you don't have an expert on staff, just go talk to the experts and they got you. Yeah. Go source an expert, right? So the inevitable thing that everybody that happens and nobody likes that something gets somewhere and it's spoiled, it's rotten, it's not how it was supposed to be. What kind of, I guess, how do those customer complaints or anything that might happen like that, that end user or the consumer um, their dissatisfaction, how are those kind of then taken and then readapted into, you know, uh, the, the entire m- movement operations of it? How is that kind of shaping uh, changes that you guys might make to some of those line hauls or deliveries in the future? Yeah, I mean, going back to even like the direct-to-consumer thing, right? When if you are a shipper and you know that you're shipping perishable products for over great lengths and you're seeing tons of spoilage um, at the end consumer and you're doing a deep dive into your customer compliance and you're saying, 
you know, I'm shipping from New Jersey to Chicago and my Chicago customers are constantly having warm boxes, spoiled product. You can then, you know, look at the data. You have to understand the data. And well, the first step is actually capturing data, right? You'd be shocked how many people aren't. Then you should capture the data, you analyze the data, and then it's like, well, what can I do? And that's when warp comes in. We can schedule those line hauls. Maybe we have existing line hauls that we have space for another temp control carrier to, to hop on that line haul. And now what you're doing is you are zone skipping and we can walk you through that process and say, hey, look, your product is getting spoiled because it's going from New Jersey to Chicago out of temp control for X amount of hours. What we can do is put it on a temp controlled line haul, which will keep it in refrigeration for 18 plus hours, we'll say, in the example of Chicago. And then from there, let's go to leave temp controlled and go to your consumer and be out of refrigeration for a day. And being out of refrigeration for a day, you can then plan for being out of that, that temp controlled environment for one to two days with your packaging. And so it's really like understanding the route and where the customer complaints are coming from and doing a deep dive so that we can problem solve for you. There is once a, a previous guest on the show has said, never settle for average. And so if you have an average on time or um, intact delivery of, you know, five or 95%, the, and those 5% will drill down to see where your highest and your lowest are and start at the highest and then try to work through those problems. And I think that's that's something that's extremely applicable, if not more so in temperature controlled, because you take so much work to get these consumers. And if, you know, you're ruining something, our product is consistently not getting somewhere where it needs to be, then I think that um, that's a kind of a higher stakes than just, oh, my Amazon package didn't arrive on time. 100%, right? Like people are relying, or when it comes to perishable products, people are typically relying on those perishable products for like a planned event. Right. So you might give it an idea of a cake. That cake probably has to get there to be eaten for some type of ceremony. Right. Or then the example of the companies that I've worked for, that food needs to get there for that planned meal. So when we would, you know, we would work extensively, like, like you said, that 95%, there's 5% of customers that you've paid to acquire that are having a bad experience that are potentially going to churn. So, um, you really need to do everything you can to maintain the, the delivery standards. Um, you know, we end always like, I guess we would take a deep breath at like 98%. Um, I know at warp, I will say any delayed on any of our temp control product is like, you know, everyone's sounding the alarm. Um, you know, we are very, very, we have a lot of, oftentimes we have live tracking, so not only are we watching the live tracking, but we're passing the live tracking on to the customer so that they can watch as well. So now we have eyes on things, they have eyes on things, and it's like a Hawkeye on all products. And our, you know, I think um, treating every temp controlled shipment like it's your last is, is key. I think that's a really good way to put it. Treat every temperature controlled shipment like it's your last because it could be for any kind of consumer, it could be the last one. And um, so I guess, like you said, you guys were watching it like a hawk. What about those times where your driver's in the middle of Kansas and there's nothing really around and you have, um, and their reefer unit breaks, kind of what are those solutions that they can offer there? 
Yeah, I mean, trust me, I, in my career, I've dealt with like the most absurd situations, very similar to what you're saying. Um, I'm, I always say that like transparency and over communication is key. Um, you know, like if you're going to try to scramble and fix this absurd problem that you find yourself in without, <laughs> without notifying the customer, like, Hey, this is what we're faced with. These are what, this is what we're doing. Um, you're going to find yourself in trouble because you're just going to, you're just going to burn yourself on the backside by maybe the plan that you put forth for your internal team to do to solve problem solve didn't work out. So now you have to go lick your wounds like hours after the, the fact, and you could have just communicated. So transparency and over communication is 1000% key. Um, and then like in the example that you gave, it's all about just like getting a million different solutions together, divide and conquer. You Person A, get another reefer routed there immediately with a pallet jack and a dock plate so we can have that reefer back to back. Next person, try finding a cross dock. That's temp controlled, close. Next person, find a box truck that's close. Whatever it is, you just attack at all solutions and then Honestly, whatever whatever comes first that actually is feasible, you you go with. Um, it's you know the, I I think those situations arise and it, it's really hard to tell a customer like, look, this is an unfortunate situation and we don't have a ton of options, but these are the options. Of course, like it's not always um, I guess easily digestible on the customer side because ultimately they have to go face their customers and on um, you know where we face one one customer who's the one per person and they're facing thousands of customers usually. So it's a bit harder for them to, to digest. But, um, you know, it's really just putting that game plan together and just taking action immediately. In a perfect world, um, you know, that game plan would be the truck breaks down a block away from a temperature-controlled warehouse that maybe just happens to have space. Um, but unfortunately, if we know anything about logistics, it's, it's never a perfect world. That's always worst case scenario. Always. Yeah. A perfect world is like, there's just, uh, yeah, if there's a cross dock near or there's like a, the carrier has terminals all over the country in excess capacity and they just, they cover it seamlessly and you don't even have to lift a finger, but, um, that's just not a reality. All right, so we are almost out of time, but there is one question that everybody comes in the show that they have to answer. Um, and it might be the hardest question you've been asked all day. Is cereal considered a soup? As a um, a man of food, I would say no. And my reasoning is soup requires time. That is what makes soup, right? The time of of extracting the flavors from the vegetables or the, the meat or the bones, what have you. So soup, way too quick. I very much like that answer. I've never heard that one before, but you're right. A good soup is always sitting for 30 minutes to an hour to a couple hours. And yeah, I like that. I like that. So if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you with any good soup recipes or hot takes on cereal, um, or if they need an expert for temperature-controlled situations, or can they find you outside the show? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Just search Jake McBall. You'll you'll see my mug up there. Connect. Uh, message me. I'll respond. Um, and then also, I would say definitely follow the work page. Um, 
the team at work puts out a lot of great content. Um, some of it comes from me. I would maybe very little of it comes from me because they're the experts of making the content, but our page is always putting out like great tidbits of information and join the conversation. We love when people comment, uh, back and forth. So, um, yeah, LinkedIn is, is the place to, to find us Warbers. Awesome. I love that. Ooh, Warbers. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Freightwaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Alpha Podcast and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. See you on the internet. Thank you.